In his song, Happy, Pharrell Williams proclaims, happiness is the truth. On Tribute to Happiness, we speak with guests who are putting this truth into practice, sharing their stories about what happens when happiness becomes a genuine focus. Tribute to Happiness is brought to you by Iceland's Chief Happiness Officer, Heather Svein Bjornsson. Hello and good morning. This is Iceland's Chief Happiness Officer. One does not get appointed as a nation's Chief Happiness Officer. It's a choice. It's a choice about how I want to serve my country and community, about addressing something critical that's missing in society. Listening and gratitude are things that are missing, especially in our work lives. Add those two things and positivity and productivity take off. Leave them out and work becomes routine, performance mediocre. Let's explore some new ideas and thinking about happiness at work. Let's also look at happiness at home and happiness in life. Our guest on the Tribute to Happiness podcast this week is a lady, a lady from South Africa. And I think she is the first one in, on my podcast from Africa. And the guest is... Now it's you. You may it's talk. It's me, Deborah Hotton. Yes! <laughs> it is me! It is I! <laughs> Oh, uh, we are off to a good start. Well, uh, so Deborah, you are my first ever, I think, a South African, I think. Oh, that's amazing, Hedon. I feel very honored and privileged to be your first South African guest and possibly the first person from the continent of Africa. Yeah, I think on so. Your, um, on your podcast. Yes. So we couldn't be far further away from each other, like me in Iceland and South Africa, where that is. Unless, but I know, like you are stationed, you are you living in the UK. I live in the UK. That is right. Yes, I um, I left South Africa. I've been in the UK now for about eight months, actually. Oh, so not that long that I've been away from from my home and my place of birth. Yes, okay. to make a new home now. Yes. So, if you can, you. Maybe this will bring us on, on the path of happiness. Uh, why did you decide to move to uh, the UK? Oh, so many reasons, Hedon. And, you know, it's um, it's difficult for, for many South Africans. I'm sure folks listening will know, many people might know some South Africans, especially here in the UK and in Europe. There's lots of us everywhere scattered throughout the world. Yeah, And um, we leave for many different reasons. The main motivation for for me and and my husband really was um, was our children and their future. Unfortunately, my home country is beautiful and the weather is amazing and the people are generally wonderful. Um, but you know, crime is a concern there and and economic decline, unfortunately. And I um, I made a very difficult decision along with my husband that we you know we would leave and hope to offer our children. Uh, a more carefree life. Um, some would say a better life. I think many of my friends in South Africa would would question that. Yeah. Um, but as you've as you've said, you know, happiness. It's about happiness and and 
and security and the things that make you sleep better at night. And at the end of the day, those are a very personal choice, you yeah, know? Yeah. So I gather that your husband is also South African. Um, yes, my husband, interestingly, is um, is a dual national. So he is British South African. Um, he's lived here in the UK before, um, but grew up in South Africa, and um, and obviously, you know, married me there and and started a family there. Yeah. Um, but I think the transition for him has been a little bit easier because he's lived here before. Yeah. But how <clears throat> how is it? So oh. This could be an episode for a, a totally another podcast. So you lived, you you were a young girl when uh, apartheid was, or or how was it? I was, um, and you know, interestingly, I think being you know, in South Africa, race is such a big thing. Obviously, I mean it 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 drove and shaped the whole political agenda. Yeah. Um. So my experience being a white. South African, obviously, very, very different from, you know, fellow South African, someone like Trevor Noah, who, you know, who is mixed race, um, someone like Nelson Mandela, obviously, who, who is black. Um, you know, I think we all had a different experience. But yes, I was a young girl. And of course, when you're a child, you you don't realize, and I, I think you look at any other country in the world, you look at Northern Ireland, you look at you know, you look at Bosnia, you look at yeah. parts of Russia. I think when you're when you're a young child, you're not aware of the fact that you're living in perhaps a war zone or perhaps, you know, a, a place um, where other people have things, have it a lot harder than you do. You know, when you're a child, everything's very insular for you. Yeah. And not, the, yeah, and not to mention the fact that you're a woman also. There must be. There yeah. must have been a interesting time of both being like a white, and then you're also a woman. Even though I, I can't fathom the tribulations uh, which people had to go through there. But how? When you realized, and when? How did it affect you when you, like, at at a certain point? Then, then, or maybe you were. Maybe you were a teenager or or a young woman stepping mm. into adult life when apartheid was like when Mandela was set free and stuff. How did it? What did it do for you? And how did your vision of life affect you? Like, did you? What happened in your? my uh, brain when you realize in, in my in my young girl's mind so a lot of things you know it's interesting that you bring it up i um i was i think i was about 14 when Nelson mandela was released from prison uh-huh. and again you know when you're still a child you don't really know what's going on um i i knew that black people lived in different areas to where white people lived yeah. um i didn't quite know or understand why specifically I didn't know or understand why Nelson Mandela and and, and many of, of his friends, you know, were in prison. Yeah. I didn't understand why it was unsafe for me to go to certain places. Because much like Northern Ireland, you know, um, the ANC at the time, um, especially in the late 80s, there was a lot of what was referred to as terrorist attacks. You know, there were bombs and yeah. there, there, were, there were many incidents. Um, it, it was very dangerous. 
And I couldn't understand. I, I, I never understood it. And I still, not just in the South African context, but in any global context, I, I understand the need to feel heard and the, the need to change the narrative and, and change the future for the better. What I've never understood is harming innocence in the process. So, so as a young girl, I didn't quite understand that. And then, of course, the next big change came when I was reaching the end of my high school career. And, um, you know, the first democratic elections were taking place. And we, we had a, a rebrand, if we can call it that. You know, we got a new flag and a new national anthem. And, you know, if I think of it from a professional change management perspective, that's really what it was. It was, you know, trying yeah. to unite, yeah. trying to unite millions of people behind a common goal and a common purpose yeah. um, of this rainbow nation and this promise of unity and equality. Yeah. And of course, what I saw at the time was a lot of fear once again and a lot of violence. And again, the young, the young woman who I was becoming couldn't understand the fear. Um, from a lot of white people, obviously, um, around the changes that were... I couldn't understand why the status quo had been maintained for as long as it had been. Yeah. And then I couldn't understand why people were afraid of changing it. I, <laughs> yeah. I couldn't understand what everyone was so afraid of. And I think I think that's, that's interesting that you've got me thinking about this now because I still actually look at change management, you know, a, a transformation project that work, um, and I find it difficult to understand what people are so afraid of, why yeah. change is so scary for people, and what stories we've told ourselves to stay comfortable, you know, in a in a comfort zone, um, and and why we're scared of stepping out of that. What yeah. what why fear is such a big motivator for us? Why love isn't a bigger motivator? You know. But then, then, then you have now you have mentioned what you are like. You went to university and you got a degree in then change management or whatever you did go read or study. What is your degree? So I um I was quite political when I was young, and I actually got a degree in international relations. I wanted to go into diplomatic service. And anyone who knows me knows what a joke diplomacy actually would be for me because I'm very straightforward and I'm really not the kind of person who should be playing. No, yeah, playing you you would you would just diplomacy. Yeah, so you would just spill oil on the fire. <laughs> probably, I would probably have caused a couple of international incidents. Um, just because I'm me, I would have possibly managed to start a war yeah. just because. You know, I I managed to upset the wrong person just because I'm me. Yeah. Um, but you know what? That personality and and that um, I'm 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 a known disruptor and a maverick, and I I think big things, and I I don't take no for an answer, and I want to change the world, and I believe that it's people like me who do actually change the world. Yeah. You know, we might not fit in, but that's maybe because. We're not meant to because we're meant to help to build something new. But isn't that also called uh, that you're passionate about life? 
Or... Oh, completely. I'm very passionate about life. I have a lot of fire in me. Yeah. And the red hair, I was born with this hair, you know. Yeah. I brought, um, you know, some, some people that be, believe in, in, you know, in the olden days when, when witches were burned at the stake, you know. Yeah. Redheads used to get burned all the time because, you know, we brought the flames of hell back with us. <laughs> <laughs> I think I will yes. probably not tell my my son that because he he is a redhead. So <laughs> I think I will well, not like you are probably a witch. Yeah, though. maybe maybe don't maybe don't tell that spoil things for him just yet. But <laughs> no, I, I bring a, I bring a lot of fire and a lot of passion and a lot of energy yeah. to everything that I do, um, and you know, it's not always well received. Let's put it that way. No. I do understand that. But this fire in you, how have you challenged it? Like when you lived in South Africa and you you discovered that your passion for maybe change or, or this, uh, well, we are... They, we are driven by fear because news, uh, TV channels, like everybody, it's, it's just fear, fear, fear. And we have to be afraid of this. We have to be afraid of that. And, and how did you, did you make a stand? Like, did you just say, oh, no, I don't want to be a part of this? I, because fear is very much, you, you get it right from the start that you have to be aware yes. of the cars, be aware of this and be like, how, how did you, when did you discover your passion? I, I've actually always had it. I, um, and I've, I've, I've always gotten in trouble for it. You know, so when you're growing up and you're a child and I try very hard with my children to, to be the parent that I needed, you know, when I was their yeah. age, um, to, to not constantly be saying no, um, you know, to explain to them that it's great that they're passionate or excited about something, just be mindful, like you say, of the cars and the un- oncoming traffic, you know, um, but I think it's an interesting question that you asked because for me, I've, I've been on a journey, you know, how, how have I, how have I managed this fire in me? I've, I'm 45 now, Hedden, and I've, I've taken a long time. There's been many people along the way who've tried to extinguish the fire. Yeah. Um, I think to an, to an extent I've tried to extinguish it myself. Um, not in a suicidal way, obviously, more in a suppressing who I truly am yeah. to fit in and being really hard on myself, which has led to a lot of unhappiness, obviously, yeah. um, around, you know, if, if you could just be more like this person, Deborah, your life would be easier. You know, if you could have just shut up about this thing, if you could have just not gone on this crusade, but as I've gotten older, I've made friends with my fire. Yeah. And I have realized that it's one of my strengths. And sometimes it does make my day-to-day life a little bit harder. But in the, in the bigger scheme of things, when I'm friends with my fire and when I use it for the greater good, everyone benefits. Yeah. And you have to just be you. I think that That's is the name the of the thing. game. That is. And like I said, you know, when the minute you start deviating from from your truth is when the unhappiness follows because so much comes with 
deviating away from who, who you truly are. Yeah. And it's resentment of others and it's resentment of self and there's loathing and there's fear and there's anger and there's all of these negative emotions that cause unhappiness and, and cause poor health. So when, when you think about your career from like before you you decided to move to the UK, happiness at work, have you been in a situation where you were you felt happy or you were valued as an an, an, an asset, not as a just yet another person who was working there? Like how how do you consider happiness at work when I when I when we use that term? When when we use that term, happiness at work for me was very much elusive, I think, most of my career. I was very good at my job always. Um, but did I feel valued? Did I feel appreciated? Did I feel celebrated? Most of the time, not. And, you know, I think it was one of the reasons why I struck out on my own and started my own boutique consultancy and, and why I became a coach and why I prefer doing the corporate training and the keynote speaking um, and the coaching, because that's where I truly feel happy. When I'm when I'm teaching and when I'm working with people, I I truly feel happy. Um, and again, what I've learned about happiness at work is when you can embrace your true nature and who you truly are, and the things that you love doing at work, and someone helps you to discover your strengths and you're working in a space where you're leveraging those strengths all the time, as opposed to working in the shadows of other people's insecurities and, and, and people trying to force you to be someone or something that you're not. Yeah. That's when you're happy. You know, um, the, the, the work might be a little bit menial sometimes, or it, it might not be the best tasks, you know, but you can still be happy because you are, because you belong and because you're celebrated for who you are. And I think historically we've gotten it very wrong, not just in the sense that we, that we think that people will work for a salary and that's enough. Fortunately, that's changed. Our thinking around that has changed. But I think if I look at performance management and personal development, you know, it's always focusing on, on what people aren't good at. And, and yes, we all need to improve in areas where we're, where we are maybe lacking, but when we let people play to their strengths and give them more opportunities to do that, that's when they truly soar. And it's, it's really like they gain wings and they fly. But in the sense of that, because of your of your country's history, and you are a young woman, and you are have fire in your belly, and you, uh, like, as you said, like, you don't maybe just collaborate if you don't want to like when when you were starting your career in south africa did you were you told to oh yeah yeah relax like like did they put lit on oh yes yes i was i was fired once quite early on in my career actually um and the reason i was fired ironically by by a british government agency i will just have that known the reason why I was fired was because I did not fit in there. 
They had no legal reason to fire me. It was nothing that I'd done. There was no performance issues. There was no conduct issues. They just didn't like me. And it took me a long time. And it's interesting that you and I are having this conversation because I look at my journey up to this point and I'm 45 and I'm, I'm to, to an extent, I'm starting over in a new place. Um, but there's been this repeated narrative in my life of not fitting in at work and not being happy at work and, um, and sometimes trying to, trying to extinguish that fire, diminish myself, water myself down, um, just to make everyone around me a little bit more comfortable. Yeah. So you, um, you, yeah, they, 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 they wanted to like press down the character of you, like that you didn't have. Yes. Yeah. Because you um, were, you were too loud. Now, you, you were too loud in action. Yes. I'm too loud. I'm too opinionated. I'm too this. I'm too that. I'm too intimidating. I'm too direct. You know, I'm too much. Yeah. And quite frankly, I might be too much for you, you know, but you're making your problem my problem now. Yeah. And I think <laughs> yeah. Part of, you, you know, and, and that's what we all do. Yeah. We, we make people feel bad about who they are because who they are doesn't sit well with who we are. Yeah. I'm sorry, my my dog wants attention here. Well, She's very needy. Bella has um, to has to, Bella has to have a place. Yes, she does. She um she's but, a lovely little thing. But that that okay now you are when did you start then by yourself when did you realize that you maybe you should go and be uh, just yourself as an entrepreneur entrepreneur or uh, uh, you should be a one-man show or whatever we call it when was that that you realized that maybe that was your destiny i i started my own business back in 2008 Okay. Um, but as a typical entrepreneur and, and interim manager and executive, I did a couple of times say yes, up until quite recently, actually, say yes to projects that, quite frankly, I should have said no to. Yeah. Um, because I, you know, I needed the money. Um, but I always come away from those projects having made new friends and having learned new things. Yeah. Um, but where I really started aligning to purpose and embracing who I am and making friends with my fire, I would say that for me happened around 2017, actually, which again is quite recently. I mean, that's, that's only four or five years, you know, um, around, around the time I turned 40, I think yeah. there was a big change for me in, in my in my approach and my mindset. But isn't it isn't it interesting when 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 we are twenty, we are like the world is in our hand and we know we are uh, destined to gratitude, greatness and stuff. And then you just yes. life takes over and you meet your significant other. You maybe get kids or dogs or cats or whatever like what you prefer and just kids and dogs yeah oh yeah in your yeah you get the kids and dogs so it, it's just when life hits you in a sense because you you also want to have happiness Sorry. in life but but it is just when you start to add the things up what do you want how do you want to be perceived in the world 
and if you are always like the person who get a lit on like shut up you are too loud you are too this like when do you realize to just say okay hell no like I say, for me, it took it took until I turned forty, and even then, I still sometimes caught myself. You know, I I worked on a very big project a couple of years ago, a uh, uh, digital transformation project, and um, one of the other senior managers. It, it was hard, and and the exec that we were all working with was was quite toxic. And one of the other senior managers said to me, "You know, I hate seeing every day." It's like a little bit of your shine is being taken away. Yeah. And and that hit me straight in the field because I realized that even though I've decided to befriend my fire and embrace this and you know say a big fat F you um to to the people who who are uncomfortable with that, I was still allowing it to happen to an extent. And I think we all do that. I think number one, none of us ask the question. And, and I think we're doing that for our children now and we're encouraging it in them, but we never got that opportunity oh, no. to yeah, say, yeah. Yeah. who am I? What do I want from life? Um, what does happiness look like and feel like to me? Hmm. And how am I going to create that in my life? Yeah. You know, I think we all got almost on this hamster wheel. We went to school, we went to university we started working, we got married, we had kids, we pay taxes, you know, um, and it, it's buying into the collective ideal of happiness that probably dates back to post-war years. Mm. Um, whereas now it's great to see so many people saying, I don't want to get married. I don't, you know, or I want to be a stay-at-home mom. I don't feel pressure mm. to to succumb to your idea of who I should be and what should be keeping me happy. Isn't there a name for this? One size fits all. Like, the, 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 the common thing is one size fits all because when you, when you are supposed to be like everybody else, I sometimes feel like Maybe I'm saying this, I, well, maybe people could get mad, but the school system, they are really yeah. much of one size fits all. Everybody should. But it, it's, I think it starts before that. I think, I think collectively, um, society bought into that BS. And, and I, I talk about this often, actually, around how when we were born, we are these perfect human beings full of potential. Yeah. And slowly but surely, it's our parents, our grandparents, you know, our extended family, the church, whatever societal structures are there, school, it's, it starts, don't do this. Yeah. You know, don't, you, you can't speak loudly in a movie theater. No, no, you can't eat with your hands. No, you, you can't wear those clothes. People will laugh at you. You know, it starts small and then it gets bigger and bigger. Um, and, and it served, it served the, do we call it the capitalist system, the military industrial complex? It served the powers that be mm. to have all of us complacent gray cardboard cutouts who don't talk too loud and who don't question too much. Yeah. And 
I'm very thankful to see that that is changing and I am very proud to be one of the people in the world who is actively working to change that, not just with my own children, but I'm working actively to change the world of work and HR and the way that we think about people at work and the way that we treat humans at work. So do you have like something that you can just tell me in a quick way? How do you see that change? Like is HR, uh, okay, they started out fine, but I had talked to Steve Brown, who is an American uh, on my mm-hmm. podcast, and he told me that he th- felt like HR was has gone far, far away from the path they have gone off the path which they started on. In a sense, like they are doing some stuff, but <clears throat> there, there is some, they they took a turn. HR took a turn for the- HR did take a turn. HR took a turn towards administration and compliance. Um, and HR took a turn away from people to towards process and profit. Um, and I, I have said this before, and I'm not very popular for saying it, but HR is dead, you know. Um, it's people and culture, and I think it's about leadership. And I think that everyone is a leader regardless of their job title. And I think that it is incumbent upon all of us to create places where we celebrate individuality and diversity and where we encourage people to be you know, the truest version of themselves. Um, it is incumbent upon all of us to create an amazing place to work. Um, and and that is why I feel we don't need HR. And and with, with technology being what it is, the compliance stuff, you know, if I need to request pay time off, that stuff is automated. Yeah. You don't need someone sitting there data capturing a form, you know, um, so, so yes, I, I think that HR is dead, and I think that the future of HR, if, if as a profession it's going to survive, um, the future of HR is really in in coaching and creating, you know, positive employee experiences from from hire to retire. It's in developing people. It is in nurturing. Um, it's in creating great places to work and encouraging people to be who they truly are. That's the only hope there is for HR. Ooh. Everything else, done. Yeah. This we will be popular after this podcast. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure I'll be super popular. Um, but again, you know, it's um, it's very weird having having some people call you a thought leader because you're like, I, I have thoughts like everyone else. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I'm just quite vocal about them and, and I have opportunities like this one to share my thoughts and opinions with people, you know? But how, how if we if we go a lot, like we have to go further. So so happiness at home, how what does Deborah do to maintain happiness at home? Like because as you have mentioned, you have a husband, you have kids, you have dogs. What is it what is happiness at home for uh, Deborah? Honestly, um, I think it depends on what day you catch me on. I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be very honest and very vulnerable with you and with everyone listening, um, Hedden. I think that, you know, happiness changes, and and 
happiness, you know, as a parent, you'll know this. You're only as happy as your saddest kid. Yeah. You know, whatever they're going through hits you really hard. Um, happiness for me is a clean house and no laundry and my children not fighting with oh. each other. <laughs> So, you know, so those are those are a lot of, of, of things that I can't always control. Yeah. Um so yes, happiness varies and I think as you've said, when we when we embark on this journey and we, we get married and we have children, it's very, very easy to become caught up in the relationship or the responsibilities of parenting. And for me personally, I mean I'm not giving anyone any advice here. For me personally, it's very important that my husband and I both maintain our own interests, our own friends, that we don't lose who we are um, just because we share a home and we have children together. Um, I, I think that's important to, to make time for yourself, yeah. um, to be a little bit selfish and to do things for you because... I, I have found that if I don't do that, I actually become I become a mom and a wife that I don't really like very much. Yeah. Um, because there's anger and resentment and there's, you know, and at the end of the day, the only person who can change those things is me. So, you know, it's, it's again, I, I joke about, you know, happiness for me is having a clean heart. So I can either fight you know with my husband every day because he doesn't unpack the dishwasher yeah. or i can just accept that it's not going to happen and change my mindset and you know do it myself or incentivize the kids to do it yeah. i think a lot of times at home happiness is a mindset and it's a choice that we have to make and it's it's work around reframing our situation from resentment and fear and anger to opportunity and, you know, and hope and, and just different and new. Yeah. One thing that we, uh, we were talking before we started recording, that is about the um, name changing when you get married and stuff. How, <laughs> you have a strong opinion about this, because you don't have your husband's name, which I find no. like because I'm from Iceland, we don't do this thing. And uh, my wife, she it's has her, she she has her own identity, and she has been she is her exactly. own person. So, how is it for you to? I don't know. Do you have one each? Of, uh, do you have a boy or girl, or how your kids? We, we have a, we have a son and a daughter, and they both have their father's last name. Um, and they understand why I have a different last name to everyone else in the house, and and they support it. And what's great is, is my kids are both, you know, old enough. They're eleven and nine, and they're old enough to understand. And they're old enough to say, well, I wouldn't expect my partner to change their name for me. Yeah. Um, you know, so so that's really nice. And again, it's it's how we change the world. It's you know, we've challenged the status quo, questioned why is this happening? Is this okay with me? Does it sit well with me? No, it doesn't. Um, and I'm going to change it. And now my children 
will make their own decision. Yeah. And and that's how that ripple effect and they, changes the world eventually. They probably can apply for a name change if they want to. Or if they wanted to, yes. Or and put I'm or sure put a hyphen. My husband, they could, they could. Um but I'm sure my husband wouldn't mind either way, you know, and I mean if they wanted to change their names from the names that we gave them at birth, you know, yes, our, our egos would be hurt because we chose those mm. names very carefully. But, you know, as, as you and I were saying, it's so important for our children to be their own people. You only have them on loan because they have to, you have exactly. your, your challenge is to prepare them for life. And it does not matter what last name or surname whatever like that is not the issue that is as you say that is your ego talking Mm -hmm. but then okay happiness in life what does deborah do if you are are you a private person or or what what does what makes you tick like do you love to walk or like what what brings you happiness what brings you happiness in life what brings me happiness in life is there's a couple of things when I feel the most alive and when I feel the most like myself, like my true authentic self, when I am driving in my car and listening to the music that I want to listen to really loud um, and singing along, uh-huh. <laughs> um, I very much feel alive. That makes me happy. When I am in beautiful surroundings, preferably in summer, having a picnic with my family, that makes me happy. Um, I feel, I feel happy when I'm alone, actually, um, you know, in nature, I'm not one to really go for walks. It's not something that I did in South Africa. I know that I can do it now in the UK, but it's retraining your brain to do it, you know, but being out in nature, being alone, just taking some time, um, with simple things. I'm, I'm very simple, like a, a great cup of coffee. You know, meeting a friend, and now obviously not just because of COVID, but also because I live in a different country, you know, being able to see their face, whether it's on Zoom or it's, you know, FaceTime or a a, a WhatsApp video call, meeting a friend, sharing a laugh, you know, sharing a meal with people that I love, um, that makes me happy. Very, very simple, simple things, usually things, and I think, I think this might be true for for most people uh, is the simple things that don't cost a lot of money might just be the things that make us the happiest learning new things for me I'm constantly learning and reading and you know googling and just I get very excited uh, um it snowed here I mean I live in the south of England where it's a lot warmer than the rest of the country and um it was really cold this weekend and we had some snow on Sunday night. And it was the first time my children had seen snow in real life and just the utter joy and excitement. And it was so delightful to watch. And that was a very happy moment. And I think that's another lesson for all of us is about being mindful being here now in the present moment to experience happiness. Yeah. Um, to not necessarily be trying to take photos for Instagram, um, but actually being here and experiencing it is really important. That is a great, great thing to say. 
and to quit our chat. But as of, like, as always, it has been great talking to you. But as <laughs> you know, I am from Iceland and our language is very unique. And I have always challenged my interviewers. No, my guests. <laughs> Okay. So, sometimes so I'm just, yes thank you I'm, yeah. so, sometimes I'm just my brain is not with me but uh, that is that's me <clears throat> so I challenge you I want to challenge you to say an Icelandic word okay. are you up for it I'm up for it let's try so I want you to say Forsyth is Rauhera I only heard the first part of that I heard Forsyth is and then I didn't hear the rest Forsyth is Rauhera Four set is Rogera. <laughs> Close. <laughs> that is the word for prime minister. Okay. And in honor of that, you you were talking about that you are a feminist and 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 like all of that stuff because we have an Icelandic. Well, our prime minister is a woman, and so that That's is awesome. something I, I thought like instantly thought of. Yes, I will let her say Forsat is Rauðherra. Okay, first it is Rauhera. Oh, that, yeah, very, very that, cool. yeah. So uh, if I said say say it ten times, then you would you would probably get it. <laughs> I, I would probably get it. I I think I might have a bit of an advantage over some of your guests in that I speak Afrikaans, uh -huh. and which is a derivative of Dutch, of course. Mm. And I speak very basic German. I think I speak the German of like a two-year-old child, mm. but <laughs> but I think. I think it does enable me. I have a different ear for sound. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it does make it a little bit easier. Yeah. But, oh, it has been lovely to talk to you, Deborah. I'm so glad that we connected uh, wherever oh, we connected. I can't, I can't remember where we connected. The wonders of LinkedIn. This oh, yes. So and Zoom. And about modern technology. Oh, yes. yes. In that sense, COVID has been like, for me, it has been best thing because I have been living my life. I have been like when you meet new people and you get it's so fantastic to just meet people all around the world. And but you never gave your you never had time for it when you were at work. Exactly, and and there's you know there has been a couple of of things that we can be grateful for because of COVID. And, and one of them is time and connection. I think it's forced us to look at how we connect as humans yes, and how we spend our time and our energy. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm very thankful for this time. I'm very thankful for you reaching out to me and, you know, giving, giving me an opportunity to talk about my experience as a human. Yeah. And and hopefully this resonates with with someone out there as well, you know. Yeah, I hope so. I truly hope so. And I will just say thank you, thank you, thank you and I hope your stay in the UK will be continuously great. And thank you. I know for a fact that when your kids have experienced snow several times they will just say Ugh. Oh. Exactly. <laughs> They'll become too cool for snow. Yes, you know, as they, grow up, they become too cool for everything. You too know? cool, too cool and, for snow. Um, exactly. My my daughter's already started rolling her eyes, and the teenage years are coming. And I think to myself, 
Yeah, I used to be a teenage girl. I, I see I see you. I've got you, you know. Yeah. We've all been too cool for school. And been now, there, done that. Been there, done yes. that. <laughs> and now we're coming back and we're realizing actually what really matters, you yeah. know. And, um, yeah, watching your kids enjoy the snow for the first time is right up there, definitely. Yeah. Most definitely, but thank you very thank much you for Kevin. giving for giving me this time, and I hope you will have a nice holiday and everything. I hope, of course, we will meet in real life sometimes. I know that. That I will know. be amazing. Oh yes, oh yes. So thank you very much, Deborah. This has been the Tribute to Happiness podcast. Tune in for next week's episode. You'll find us on social media.